with very little dialogue and a mask. I mean, he's very got good. such great lips. He shouldn't hide those lips. <laughs> I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. We all go a little mad sometimes. Come on. One of you nuts has got any guts. Let's put a smile on that face. You're only as healthy as you feel. Listen to me! Listen to you, but I want right. Because I have a right to be, and I have a voice! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pop Culture Case Study. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let the healing begin. Alright, hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the following films network. So, this week, uh, we have a couple of return guests. I have both of the hosts of the Joy Sandwich podcast. So thanks, guys, for being here. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, man. Of course. Very excited to be here. Of course, it's been a while, so it's good to have you back. So in case we have any new listeners since the last time you were here, why don't uh, you guys tell them about your podcast and where they can listen to it? Uh, our podcast is um, A Smattering of Joy. Um, it's, that's not the name of it, although that's our spinoff. But um, no. We have uh, a spinoff? No. Our been holding out on me, Jessica? Yes, it's called Joy Sandwich with a smattering of joy <laughs> um, and a smattering of misery sometimes. So, you know, if you're if you're like a little cynical about the joy, you could still give a listen. I think it's still enjoyable for both, uh, both people, um, types of people. And um, it's got myself and known and we talk about a lot of things that make us happy, but then um, which end up being books, movies, TV um, and media of all kinds, and then we also talk to other people and about their joys and what they enjoy in life and keeps them happy. And sometimes I get converted, like I get really excited about wanting to love their joy. And sometimes, like in running, I have no interest whatsoever <laughs> ever converting to running. But we recently had on like uh, tomorrow's episode, you know, as of this recording, we had on Jacob Haller. Uh, we talked about the joy of songwriting and. Yeah. You know, I've never done any songwriting, but I do some writing and just like kind of made me want to do some songwriting, you know, so it's very, uh, it's very inspiring. Our show is very inspiring for people. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you should know. Let me just, let me just throw that out there. Um, Known songwriting is, is very off the cuff and, um. And, uh, a lot of puns writing. involved. I mean, a lot of repeating. <laughs> Repeat, of the same repeating words, in the same word. Tones. <laughs> Singing to my dog. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Joy Sandwich. We're at Joy Sandwich on Twitter. We're on Patreon, which is fun, and all that stuff. You can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts. Nice. All right. So this week we already covered uh, another World War II epic. We took a look at Saving Private Ryan, where we had Andrew from the AB Film Review for that. So our new release, of course, this week is Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, uh, which I think made like something like $55 million in the U.S. box office, $100 million worldwide. It's, it's, it's doing quite well. It's, it's kind of the, the big release of the weekend. So I wanted to start off talking about uh, what your experience with Christopher Nolan is like for you. Because there's been a lot, like especially if you spend too much time on Twitter and online, there's this kind of attitude about, oh, he's not that fucking great uh, going around uh, about Christopher Nolan. Then this happens anytime. You know, there's a director who does really well. There's always some uh, some people out there who have different opinions, and some of them are being honest, and I think some of them are being killjoys, and it's and sometimes it gets hard to tell which is which. So what is your general opinion of Christopher Nolan as a director kind of going into Dunkirk? Um, well, I, I just first want to say, like, I 
despise sort of that jerk reaction to anything that the internet has like yeah that thing you like it's not that great (laughs) i have to i have yeah i have to like posit another theory or you know shit on your parade which i just dislike uh, immensely um we can all have our opinions i think that's fair uh anyways uh my experience with nolan i i i I love him. I, I find him one of one of the sort of best working directors today. He has a style that he, you know, he works in the superhero genre with the Batman films. He's worked in, you know, thriller genre. Uh, and but all of his filmmaking, there's like a through line of like a kind of like a, a deep philosophical mm-hmm. uh, take on sort of perspective and humanity and stuff, which I, I really am drawn to. And I, I love that about his work. And it's, it's the same here, uh, with Dunkirk for sure. How about you, Jessica? Uh, so I, um, I really enjoy what Christopher Nolan has done. I think, um, part of, I don't know, partly the reactions of him, um, I think are sometimes a reaction to, he sometimes says things that rub people the wrong way. Yeah. Like, and you know, he's very opinionated about what he thinks he's, Let's face it. He is like, if he was not a director, he'd probably be on Twitter making all of those statements. <laughs> it's quite possible. Yes. <laughs> He's got very specific ideas of what he thinks is, should be filmmaking and could be. And I think that makes for a good filmmaker. I mean, <laughs> while I don't necessarily like that as a human being necessarily, like, or I, I wish he would be a little softer at times. Um, I think that, that having a very unique and, very not unique, but necessarily, but very specific point of view, and um, and wanting to reach that at all costs, I think makes for a strong director, right? And yeah. so I think he. So I, I, you know, I started with Memento. I really loved that film, mm-hmm. and um, in a lot of ways, and, and at the time when I was when I first watched it, I was like, it kind of got me really excited about film again, right? And. Um, and storytelling, I think, because it's kind of a, an interesting story and and um, thinking about film in different ways. So I've I've really really enjoyed. I'm always willing to give him a shot and see what he's got to do, has you know, what he can do. And and uh, I was excited to see Dunkirk. Nice, yeah. I come from a pretty similar perspective. Like, no, and you mentioned this this idea of all these different genre films, and I think that's the most impressive thing about Nolan is he does have this thorough line. Like, there's a definite philosophy there, but he can kind of take it anywhere he wants. You know, like the fact that someone can make you know a movie like Interstellar and a movie like the Batman movies is kind of awe inspiring. Like, whatever you think about those movies, whatever your reactions to it is fine. But like the fact that he's made, I mean, outside of the Batman franchise, he's made six movies that are all extremely different and to me all like good to great like like his worst movie to me is still pretty good uh and there's not that many directors like that so he's kind of in terms of who knows who the best director is but as far as my favorite directors like he's one of my two favorite directors working right now like it's him and Guillermo del Toro I will I will be there opening day for anything they put out like I am ready so I've been looking forward to Dunkirk kind of all year like this is one of those movies that's been at the top of my list so you know, finally having watching done, having watched Dunkirk, what did you guys think of it? Like, what is what is your immediate reaction after walking out of the theater? Like, I used the word magical, uh, and Jessica sort of made fun of me. Uh, <laughs> you corrected me. Like, <laughs> you were one of those internet trolls saying, "Like, you were wrong. My position is right." I did not say you were 
I'm just kidding. Um, I did use the word magical, and I, I, I think like I've sort of stepped back from that a little bit, but I do think there's a really mesmerizing quality to the film mm-hmm. that you don't get much you don't get elsewhere i i find uh there's there's a there's this style and the way it was edited like i i sort of described it as like you know as the viewer you're kind of almost like a god like figure just sort of looking over like uh, mm. like a topographical view of what's going on you're just sort of let's focus on this part of this part of the story and then let's jump over here mm. like back in time and let's jump like there was this this weird sort of mesmerizing fluid uh storytelling aspect that i i just i found super intense like and you know what you know one of the things i loved the most about it i'll just say this real quickly is that i'm not a huge war film person mm-hmm. but i like I like great storytelling and, and the, the, the thing that I, I do not like about war films is like all the behind the scenes, like mm. in the war room or whatever, all right. that bureaucracy, the planning, bullshit, yeah. you know, like that mm-hmm. stuff I'm not for. And so this having, I don't know if this is, that's a spoiler, but no, it's not a spoiler. This, like having none of that is, uh, was right up my alley. So I, I was pretty mesmerized by the movie. Yeah, that's one of the things I love. I love most about it, actually, is this. Yeah, like it's funny because I think you looked at it in a very different way than I did. You had this kind of omnipotent look at it, like kind of I'm mm-hmm. looking over this, mm-hmm. and I didn't feel that at all. And I think the reason I didn't feel that is because you never see the enemy in this movie. Mm-hmm. You never see their faces. Yeah. Even the scenes that are taking place in air, you know who the bad guys are, clearly. You know where the torpedoes are coming from on the water. You know where the bullets are coming from on the ground. But because they never showed the the enemy, the Germans in this case, I felt like I was constantly with these men, like whether on the beach or in the cockpit or in the boat. And that was terrifying. Like I – throughout this yeah. entire movie, like I cannot remember a movie experience that – that gave me so much anxiety, like ever in my life. Like, and some of it is the score. Some of it's this like ticking clock that's always going on. That is like going to be ingrained in my memory forever. I think the last movie I had a physical reaction this strong was the first time I saw Mad Max, but that was Mm. like in portions. Like there's definitely some, like there's some lag in that movie, not as far as the movie lags, but as far as my anxiety levels. But in this, like there's never a moment to relax. Like it throws you into the movie with bullets being around this character's head. And it really doesn't let up until the very end, until the credits roll. And I was just like, I, I'm glad this movie isn't any longer. Like if this movie was a two hour long movie, I don't know if my heart could take it. Like I was just like, I cannot (laughs) deal with this. And I actually saw someone online refer to it. Like it's like a silent movie in a lot of ways. Like, yes, there's uh-huh. a lot of sound and sound plays an important part, but in terms of like, there's no, there's no fat on this movie. There's not a lot of character building moments. And some people might have an issue with that. Like it's maybe harder to connect for certain people, but b- because there's no fat, because it throws you in, like I was, I was bonded to these characters, like within two minutes of the movie starting, I was like, I care about all these people that, that we've been shown. And that's one of the things I loved about it. And it's very different for Nolan because he's been criticized for having too much exposition in his movies. And there is no exposition in this movie at all, which I really, really dug. What about you, Jess? Well, yeah, I, which I think that kind of in some ways reminds me of Memento, which I think has no exposition. I mean, it's like you just find out as you go, right? Like it's that time, like, and especially the fact that he plays with time so much in this movie. 
the only reason I, I totally agree with Noan about it feeling in some way magical, but I just didn't love that word because it seems, it doesn't carry sense of dread in any way. Right. <laughs> it doesn't carry exactly what you're talking about, which is, um, I said, I just, it's like, it, it is magical. Like it's, it's almost like he split me. I can see objectively that this scene, like the way it's shot is magical and beautiful. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's filled it's like a beautiful shot of this blue sky and the ocean, but all I can feel is heartbreak and like exhaustion and tense and be tense and anxiety. And I think that it was a that's a nice juxtaposition, right? The beauty right. of this place and the beauty, I mean even the houses and you see it and you go, what a surreal, absolutely surreal moment in time. Like to to have and for us and so this is the part where I like this kind of I and I known said that God like and you say this personal and I almost feel it's this kind of so there's this book called The Book Thief mm -hmm. and there's a movie. I haven't seen the movie. But the book um and so the book itself is told from the perspective of death and how death is haunted by humanity. And to me this felt you're right it we didn't get the omnipotent like of the other side, but we've got this idea of like, how is like the way I felt part of these characters, but I didn't feel like I didn't mm -hmm. feel a part of them. Like I felt, I mean, although I did say it, I felt like I was sitting on the beach at times because of the IMAX experience. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, and everything just felt so like enveloped around me, but I, in some ways I, I um I felt saddened and like I was like you know like obviously you know because I'm not in the experience I felt and because they don't talk much I felt I was just watching things unfold and watching this horrible things and these the horrible despair and the like morality choices like mm -hmm. unfold in this movie and mm -hmm. that all I could do was sit there and witness it right, right. and that was it. Yeah, and I think, and if you take that a little bit further, I think all these men on the beach probably felt that same way. There was nothing they could do. They're trapped in the situation, and they're just watching these things unfold, and they are helpless. All these men with guns, 300,000 of them, and yet there's nothing they can do but hide and hope for some miracle that may or may not ever occur. Like, I was just like, I, I kept being struck by that through the entire movie, is that there's all these all these men, especially these young men who feel like they could do anything. And now they're put in this position where now they know there's nothing they can do, but wait and hope. And I think, I think you get that throughout the movie. I also like, I love the structure of this movie. And this is something that certainly is dividing people. I actually, in my theater experience, I went to this, you know, big IMAX theater and they had an usher come out at the beginning and explain that there was three different narratives going on. Oh, because wow. apparently, apparently earlier in the weekend, people were very confused by this. And I was like, and, huh. I, and that bothered me. Like, I hate, I hate this idea that like, oh, people in the audience are fucking idiots. They, they won't be able to figure it out. And there are three very different narratives and they take place over different periods of time. There's a stuff on the beach that's like a week. Uh, and then there's, um, the stuff in the air, uh, which is an hour. So you have all these different these different threads. But I feel like because Nolan wrote and directed this, he knew exactly what he was doing. And I felt like things were timed out really well. And I didn't need that explanation. And my, I hate the idea that like we think of moviegoers as like the unwashed masses. And they won't get it because they're fucking dumb. And it's like there's nothing in this movie that is beyond comprehension 
of even of someone of, you know, just basic intelligence. Like, it's fine. Like, just let us see it. Like, we'll get it. And I and I love the way all of this was framed. And you could tell, like, in something I love about Nolan, and even people don't like him will say, like, technically, he's really great. Like, he is meticulous with how he does this. Like, he thought this through. This isn't something that, that is super confusing. Uh, and I thought, like, it was divided up in a way. And, I, and we should talk about the performances here. Like, I think especially Tom Hardy and Mark Rylance are incredible here. Like, I've been on record saying Tom Hardy is probably the best. Actually. It was an episode you were on, uh, known about how great he is with these nonverbal performances, with this purely, yeah, like to be able to physically emote without saying a word. Like in this movie, half of his face is covered for ninety nine percent of his scenes, and yet you feel everything he is going through in those moments. And it's and he has no one to play off of. You know, he has a voice on a radio, and he has the camera on him, and that's it. And that is not something that ninety percent of other actors can do. And I think Mark Rylance's performance here is you know, predictably great. Like, he's always good. Like, even in movies that I'm not a big fan of, like the BFG, he still gives really good performances. And there's one particular moment where they're deciding if they should go help, you know, a downed pilot. And his reaction of, like... And you can tell he doesn't know if he can help, but he needs to He needs to make the attempt. And that moment, like, really moved me. And you get almost no, no background character work from Rylance before that moment. So to really carry off that line and carry off that moment is truly impressive. And I was just like struck by those two performances in particular. One thing that I loved about the Mark Rylance, um, that, that particular scene is, and this is the part, like you said, we have nothing, but I thought that the, the, the boy also played really well off of him in that it's, that's that those nice storytelling moments of like, of kind of a realization. So like if we didn't, I mean, and his, his kind of panic in his voice, right. Oh. It's like a very steady, but the slight bit of panic in there of feeling. And I think, you know, world war one and world war two, and especially because he's an older, I you can't help but think how this, you know, how he's been also traumatized by world war one. Right. right. And so how this, this feels so devastating and like compounded in helplessness. Right. And so it was just a really beautiful scene. And like you said, I don't have any background, but yet we're there and we can see and understand everything. And and you're totally right in that. I don't know why that usher needed to come out and tell you anything. He gives clear signposts as to where, right. I, I was confused in the beginning, but it's like at, although I do have one question, but we'll talk about that later. But, um, I feel like it was it was totally possible. Like he's he gives very specific signposts, right? right? Like this is clearly us, and then you start to get the hang of it, and you're like, okay, I see what's happening. And it's such an integral part. Like I I was admittedly a little bit uh, confused at the at the outset, and then you know you you pick it up pretty quickly. But it's such like I'm willing. Like I I agree with Dave uh, saying like you know, people will get it. The usher didn't need to do that. I totally agree with that. And doing that sort of takes away from that being such an integral part of the storytelling style. Um, and going back to like, like Mark Rylance's character and him sort of rescuing that pilot and, and how we are seeing like different sort of perspectives of that, like Mm -hmm. over like the period of, you know, the, hour and 45 minutes or whatever. Um, like that's such a, 
I don't know the word to describe it, but that's such a um, holistic or like you're just getting all these different perspectives and different angles about how uh, important each of these sort of facets of the of the war are. You know, mm-hmm. you have like the civilians, you have the the folks on the beach, you have the people in the sky, Army, and it's and, and it's all like so like beautifully pieced together. Uh, it, it's and you get the astonishing, right? Like the frustration. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The three factions and totally. how they are treated somewhat differently, or there seems to be hierarchy within there, right? Between army, navy, and I don't know if England is the exact same way, but I think there is. Sure. Some in- there was a fun line, you know, from uh, um, what's his name, Kenneth Branagh, about being in the navy, <laughs> where he like, you know, I, I get it, yeah, yeah, and. Um, and and you're right, and the civilian aspect of it, and the helplessness, and the feeling of so that he does a very, you know, really tight, short movie. He gets all four of those, which is pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, I also like how it reflects, and this is in the trailer, so it's not really a spoiler that they use that Winston Churchill speech. You know, we will fight them on the beaches, we will fight them in the water. Like it actually represents that on screen. Like we have all of that within this hundred minute movie. Like he's managed yeah. to include so much. Uh and I and I it also makes that makes me happy that there's not a bunch of dialogue about how great things are or how terrible things are. I like the fact that he just shows you and he allows you to make your own decisions about war because there's there's definitely some mixed messages here about about war, there's definitely some moments, especially near the end of the film, that are very uplifting. But there's also this mm-hmm. terror and this dread and this uselessness throughout the other 99 minutes of the movie. And it kind of leaves it up to you. Like, what do you think? You know, do we really have allies? Like, there is a sequence in a, in the, in the hull of a boat that is, oh, yeah. that is kind of torments the viewer and, and makes you wonder, like, okay, what would I do in that situation? Like how, and none of these people are really my friends, but who's more of a friend than the next person and, and who can we trust and who can't we trust? And it it creates a lot of interesting, uh, interesting thought processes in the viewer, as well as with the characters, which is not, not an easy thing to do in a movie like this. And a lot of war movies, I think, I think the weakness of them in general is they're very black and white. Like these are the enemies and these are the good guys. And sometimes there's a little bit of gray area. Um, but the truly great war films will have that gray area, and I think this manages it without, you know, without extensive character moments, without you know rousing speeches from commanders or people, uh, yeah. you know, crying that they're going to die. Like, there's none of these over emotional moments. It's just like this is the situation we're in, and we're just going to have to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, war is gray. I mean, how could it not right. be? Right. Um, it, this is not, uh, this is not a Mel Gibson film. Yeah. Right. It's not Braveheart where we're just going to follow this one guy and he is a hero. And I think we have that in a lot of war films where we're just like, we follow one character and they come in contact with these other characters and we always lean on this one good character. And this, there is no, there's really no one to lean on. All right. Um, so I think at this point, um, we're going to jump to spoilers in a minute, but I just wanted us to all have like kind of our... Last words before, before you know, some people might not listen to spoilers, although this is a hard movie to spoil. I legitimately think this is a great movie. I walked into this, kind of had my guards up a little bit, because, I mean, this movie could not 
could not be more well received critically. I, th- I just looked recently. I think it's got like a ninety five on Metacritic. Like the average score is is a high A. Um, so I was kind of like, okay, let's tamp down the expectations a little bit because you know you hear words like masterpiece being thrown around and best film of the decade and all these kind of things. It's kind of like, okay, I don't want to go in like that. But this is legit to me a, a legitimately great movie. Um, and this, of course, comes from a fan of Christopher Nolan. I was ready to like this, so you should take that into account. Um, but I also think this may be his most difficult-to-access movie. Um, it's definitely, in a lot of ways, his kind of art piece. Like, he's not going to, he's not going to cater to audiences who may or may not get what's going on. He's just going to kind of throw you into the action and see, and see how the audience handles it. But I definitely highly recommend this movie. Uh, but what about both of you? Yeah, I agree. I think it's great. Um, I think that it's a movie that, needs to be seen because it's a war film that that embraces the gray Mm -hmm. um and i also think it needs to be seen in imax um yeah if you can can, if you can afford it like you should see it on as big a screen as you can it is an immersive experience absolutely like just like he he really takes advantage of the 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 wide format uh and it's it's pretty astonishingly beautiful so i I highly recommend it. I would um, recommend you go see it in theaters uh, pronto. Yeah, I I agree. I recommend this film. I think um, I think it is. I will say I did tell my dad that there is a timeline. So even though I said my viewers aren't that dumb, um, <laughs> you think your dad's dumb? Is what you're saying. <laughs> the truth comes out. <laughs> no, um, but I also wouldn't have. I really actually want to rewatch the film because yeah. I want to. I want to pay attention to that more. And mm-hmm. so the reason I I just told him all I said to him. I said it is, and my dad does sometimes get weirdly confused by time things. So I just know his history as well. Sure. Um, so, um, but I would have been upset if someone told me that. Told me that because I like trying. I like the experience of feeling it. Right. Um, so I mean, we may have spoiled that then. Um, but yeah, it's a. I, I, I highly recommend it. I think you should definitely go see it. Nice. Sure. All right. So now we're gonna go to spoilers. Spoilers. What? Read ahead. Spoil all the surprises. Not peeking at the end. Isn't traveling with you one big spoiler? That's classified. That's what? It's classified. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Um, So one thing I wanted to bring up is kind of the reveal of the French soldier. Um, So how do you guys feel like that was handled? Like, was was it a shock to you? Is it something you saw coming? And what did you think of the scene that kind of came right after that reveal? Uh, Well, I it wasn't shocking to me that he was someone he, you know, he, he said he wasn't, or that's not how you say it. He was someone <laughs> he that we thought, he was. you know, yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was a mystery. Uh, and, and that was, you know, that was planted, you know, when, uh, you know, we see him burying this body on the beach. Uh, and so, you know, there's something going right. on there, but we also throughout, uh, leading up into that, that boat hole scene, uh, he's, he's doing some, pretty great things. He's saving people. Right. Uh, and, um, you know, and then it's revealed he's, he's, a, he's a Frenchman. Uh, oops. And, um, that whole scene, we talked about the bullhole scene. It's, it's, 
pretty hard to watch. Um, what I so what maybe I missed it, but like all of a sudden he's drowning, and I don't know how that happened exactly. Did he get hooked? Like yeah. I didn't see that part yeah, he of got it. Hooked. Like yeah, the way it was shot is like. I guess Nolan showed. showed it real quickly and then just showed him struggling, but didn't like, you know, a lot of times filmmakers will go back to like the leg caught, you know, um, and he didn't do that. And so, you know, I, I assumed he was hooked, but right. yeah, that, that sucks. <laughs> that totally sucks. I feel like that's what makes this movie less romantic, right? This ending mm-hmm. is that, um, for one, that whole conversation, I think, really highlights essentially, and they do it a little bit with the with an earlier scene of them trying to get like onto earlier boats as some of the Frenchmen are trying to get onto boats. Right. And so you see that there is definitely that the British are focusing on the on the English, you know, the English are focusing on the English, um, on getting them off the island. I mean, off the island, off the the island of Europe, um, the off Dunkirk first. Um, and then I think that this is, so if he, he, he essentially had to die to show is, that this is what's, I feel like that's what's happening. That's what happens to the French, that, that there is, even though the guy kind of taps him and does kind of redeem himself a little bit in kind of telling him, cause he misses that because I'm assuming because of a, you know, language barrier, like he doesn't really realize that people are leaving, um, and hear them say, let's go. And, but I think that the reality is, is that's where the French are staying, is that they're drowning on Dunkirk and that they're not necessarily going to make it off kind of thing. And I'm not really sure. I don't know the history of Dunkirk, so I don't know if that's what actually happened. Um, But that was kind of my take on it. Yeah. I also, you know, kind of tied into that. I, I really like that we have an ending with Kenneth Branagh's character where he's decided even though he easily could leave, that he's going to stay and help the French. And I thought that was a really, and who knows how true that is to uh, to any of the the leaders of the British British Navy uh, in his case. But I thought that was a really powerful moment, and uh, a moment that could have been left out, and you still would have had the same kind of moving ending to the movie with everyone escaping. But I liked that there was that little nod to like, we should actually take care of our allies, especially in light of what's going on in the world right now, whether you're talking about Trump's America or Brexit, like there's a lot of distrust of anyone not on your soil. And I like that this, this put forward a different message. Yeah. And it showed that tension though, between it as well, that, that, right know that that there is a minority of people who are not a minority necessarily in reality but a minority in there that are willing to stay back with them right right? that that there is a he's alone as they as they you know move down and it's you're right it's a very kind of triumphant decision and you very admirable but at the same time he's being left right like there's a feeling of of kind of still that dread of like oh well he's not going to make it you know kind of thing right yeah, the the whole sort of treat, you know, the the treatment of the other, I think, is a pretty universal um, idea, you know, and practice in in you know our day to day lives that I think uh, happens, um, and and I think it's important to put that on screen and and have it be a sort of point of conversation. Um, mm-hmm. However, like horrific uh, it is, like I think um, that was a pretty pivotal scene and and you know i think pretty 
pretty realistic, uh, you know, so. Yeah, and I think this movie also has a, depending on how how much you get into the movie, and I think it's going to be a your mileage may vary situation with the emotionality of this movie, but there are several moments that really, really moved me in this movie, and some of which we haven't mentioned. There is, you know, there's this whole subplot where, you know, a civilian is killed by by a soldier who is upset at being oh. brought back to Dunkirk. Uh, and I love the arc of that situation, how at first it's like, no, he's he's not okay and I'm not going to spare your feelings. And I love that even though this person has died and at the end the soldier comes back and says, like, is he going to be okay? And I think – and he's lied to and says, like, yeah, he's going to mm. be fine. And it was a really touching moment for me because there's nothing to be gained by putting another death on this man's conscience because it's not something he did, you know, out of this – you know, out of this venom, it was an yeah. accident. It was something terrible that happened, and also the the moment in the newspaper of of that kid being hailed as a hero at Dunkirk. I thought was, yeah. and that really worked on me. And that's a character that has maybe ten lines, maybe five lines in this movie, and yet by the end, I was I was like, you know, I was getting teary eyed at the thought of this yeah. at this at this this boy, this young man being remembered in that way because the people around him cared enough to make people remember. Yeah. And again, I, I don't know who the actor is. Who was that blonde, blonde kid, his arc. I feel because yeah. like his arc is a real, it's the very much of like from a distance, right? What war is and your duty to war. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and how it's supposed to be about um, patriotism and morality and doing the right thing. And then how that kind of breaks down as the like atrocities, even in that quick time period, um, kind of break break him down. Not in his morality or his he still has his values, but he, an understanding of of that things aren't so black and white, right? Yeah. Like that that this isn't this him this guy not wanting and and the dad is the one you know Mark Rylance is the one that really kind of exposing that to him in a way and being that voice because he, they clearly respect, he clearly respects him. And so he says he's not himself, you know, the, the soldier that comes. And, right. and I think as, as he, as they kind of work through that, that story arc, it was just, it was a really, I didn't see it coming. I expected him to say he's dead. Right. To right. His face. Yeah. yeah. And so when he said that, I thought that was, it was exactly right. It was and that knowing look between the two of them and all that stuff. It was right. a very... Uh, really beautiful just snapshot of humanity, I think, yeah. uh, that that you don't get to see very often. That's kind of nuanced and, and uh, makes just wholly empathic sense uh, to, mm -hmm. to me um, as a viewer. So, I, yeah, I loved that that particular moment as well. Yeah, I also love, like you mentioned that Mark Rylance line, like what he says is he's not himself and he may very well never be himself again. Oh. And when I heard that as someone who works with, who works in, in the government with, uh, at, a, at a VA hospital, like that's, that's something that's still very prevalent today. That like there are these men and women out there who have undergone trauma who may not ever get back to the lives that they left by serving the country. And I thought like, wow, this is – it's a really important thing and it's a one-line thing. But again, the way it's delivered by Rylance is, 
is so like, you know, like you mentioned, getting this feeling of empathy from him. And you get that really in spades from his character like that. He his character is empathy, like everything he is doing, he is doing because it's the right thing to do. And I feel for these people who are trapped out there. And there's a lot in this movie about like old men starting wars that young men have to fight. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned like maybe Rylance has been traumatized or lived through World War One, and he has seen this before. So for him, for him, this is like not only the right thing to do, but the only thing to do. And I think, you know, you get that throughout his entire arc. And I think his is probably my favorite performance in the movie. Like, I think Tom Hardy is great, but I think Rylance's character, it's the one, um, it's one of the few characters I think you really need a great performance from that's not minimalist. Uh, and I think he he really delivers here, and I hope and I hope that a lot of people see this, and a lot of people already are, and I hope he gets like some serious consider- consideration when it comes to awards time because not every actor can pull off what he pulled off. Yeah, lesser writer, lesser actor. It would have it could have potentially been sort of a lesser director. Lesser director, yeah, mm. it could have been just uh, potentially just like cookie cutter, like right. rah rah hero type Bleeding character. Heart. That, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and it's so so much more nuanced than that, and uh, I like that. Awesome. And, Go ahead. And I just like I said, I mean, the I think the post World War One mentality and World War One like just created such a sense of disconnection and loss. Yeah. And what I mean by like anxiety over being feeling useless, feeling like you don't have any moral high ground, right? Like there's a sense of, of just such of wanting to do something and still having that romantic notion of, of wanting to save. And so save, save the world. Um, but at the same time, um, feeling as small as can be. And so I think that the fact that these wars are so close together and the fact that he chooses world war two, and obviously he chooses Dunkirk and this is a story, a real thing. But I think, you know, he, he, I think having those characters that have experienced both of those is, is a really nice touch in terms of showing the, the history of those, of the European and English continent, right. Of the European continent and the, and the English, um, British islands and stuff. Can we talk about just real quick, Dave, Mm -hmm. uh, Tom Hardy's character, uh, his, his, his sort of gas going away, you know, Mm -hmm. he has no, he has no more fuel. And him just sort of coasting back and forth and then, like, coming out of nowhere and, like, taking down that that other plane. Yeah. And then him, like, knowing is essentially, like, okay, you know, this is – this isn't going to end well for me. Right. Um, like, that's such a that, – that was such a beautiful scene. And, like, just watching the plane float across the sky with, like, no sound, oh, I was, like – Yeah, I mean, awe. talk about gorgeously filmed. Like, everything in this movie is, but the – the the kind of dog fights are so well filmed. Like I could I could watch an hour of Tom Hardy, you know, going after this this other pilot. But I think you bring up yeah. a, a great point that it's it's a lot of that. I think his character really personifies that that idea of the British stiff upper lip. Like this is a situation I'm in. I'm not going to panic. I'm just going to do what I can to get it done. And it sets it up so well with the kind of gas sequence where you find out how much he has left and he's constantly keeping track of it. And then there's, you know, a scene where he's starting to run out and you see him without hesitation use his emergency fuel. Like, this is what I have to do. I have to get the job done. And this was a character I did not expect uh, to live through the movie. I was actually shocked 
uh, at how it ended. Because, I mean, Nolan really took his time with that landing sequence. Like, mm-hmm. as it first started, yeah. I was like, okay, I'm looking for the shoot. Like, maybe he's going to escape that way. And then you have the whole very extended sequence with the, the landing gear not coming down on time. And But that, like, you know, I mean, the whole movie is tense. But that sequence, I was just like... And the whole time I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if he's going to crash yep. and burn. I don't know if he's going to survive. I don't know if he's going to use the parachute. But that stuff was all really, really well done, like from a writing, a direction, and a performance standpoint. Totally. And then, you know, we see that it's the precursor to Bane in the end. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> the man is good with the mask on. What can I say? Like, he really... <laughs> He can, he with can very little work. dialogue and a mask. I mean, he's got such great lips. He shouldn't hide those lips. That's true. That's a very good point. I agree with that. Thankfully, <laughs> by the end of the film, he does take off the mask. So you get at least one or two glorious shots of Tom Hardy's face. So, so we get that. Yes, yes indeed. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's it for our review. Um, so one more time, why don't you let people know uh, where they can find you online and where they can listen to Joy Sandwich? Sure. Uh, we're on Twitter at Joy Sandwich. Uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash Joy Sandwich. We're on Facebook, Instagram, all Joy Sandwich. And then uh, you can listen iTunes, Stitcher, all those, all those places. So, yeah, check us out. I've never, I don't think I've ever been to Reno. You're not missing a lot. You're not missing much. It's not, you know, it's the very, very, very poor man's Las Vegas. It's Thanks for asking us. We feel like um, you really favor the film Twitter community and not uh, not us enough. So it's almost like this is a movie podcast. Thank you.